Escape Pod, 370. November 15, 2012. The Care and Feeding of Mammalian Bipeds, Version 2.0. By Darisha Wayne. Welcome to Escape Pod. I'm your host, Mer Lafferty. It's a cold and rainy November, and November always seems like a, a month to put you in your place between the uh, glorious fall of October and the upcoming exciting holiday season. November's just sit, experience the snow or the rain, and wait. And so my November's been kind of down. And, uh, you know, there's been other stuff going on that's been worse than mine, say, hurricanes. But it's good to bring you guys some fun stories, because that brings me up, and I hope it brings you up if November affects you like it does me. So this week we're bringing you The Care and Feeding of Mammalian Bipeds, version 2.0, by M. Darusha Wayne. M. Darusha Wayne is the two-time Parsec Award shortlisted author of the novels Beautiful Red, Self-Made, and Act of Will. The third book in her Anderson Dexter series of SF detective novels, The Beauty of Our Weapons, was released in March. She's from Canada, but currently lives on her sailboat in Wellington, New Zealand. You can find more about her at darusha.ca. That is read to you by Christiana Ellis of Space Casey and Nina Kimberly the Merciless fame. So run algorithms on all the emotions of those around you. It's story time. The Care and Feeding of Mammalian Bipeds, Version 2.1 By M. Darusha Wame The first day I meet my human herd, they are so well-behaved that I wonder if they really need me at all. I arrive at their dwelling, and am greeted by the largest one of their group. I access the manual with which I have been programmed, and skip to Section 3, Verbal and Physical Cues for Sexing Humans. I can tell by the shape and outer garments that this human is a male, and I make note of this data. He brings me into the main area of their living space, and as we move deeper into the dwelling he asks me to call him Taylor, so immediately I do. He makes a noise deep in his throat, then introduces me to the rest of the herd. He puts his forelimb around the next largest one, who he introduces as Madison. The Madison bears its teeth at me in a manner that Section 14, Advanced Nonverbal Communication, suggests is a gesture indicating happiness, approval, cheerfulness, or amusement, but which may belie insincerity, boredom, or hostility. The Madison says, Welcome to the family, Rosie. Thank you, Madison, I respond, as suggested by the manual in Section 2, Introductions, Getting to Know Your Humans. I am looking forward to serving you and your family. The manual indicates that human herds designate each individual with a name, and that most will bestow a similar designation on their caregiver. Section 0, a brief overview of current anthropological theories, states that the predominant view is that humans believe we are a new addition to the herd, and the best thing to do is to go along with the idea so as not to confuse them. The tailor and the Madison appear to have chosen to refer to me by the name Rosie, and I set my monitoring routine to key on the sound of that word. These are Agatha and Frederick, 
the tailor says, pushing two smaller humans toward me. I am unable to tell by looking whether or not they are male or female. They are about the same height as each other, with shoulder-length glossy fur. Their outer coverings are very similar, shapeless and dark-colored except with colorful designs in the upper section. One of them bears its teeth at me in a manner similar to the Madison's earlier display, but the other looks away. "'Kids,' the tailor says, his voice growing deeper, "'say hi to the new robot.' "'Hi, Rosie,' the toothy one says. "'I'm Frederick, and this is my sister Aggie.' The Frederick pulls on the forelimb of the other one, who looks through its fur at me. "'This is so stupid,' it says, pulling its arm out of its sibling's grip. "'I don't have to say hi to the dishwasher or the school bus. Why do I have to pretend to be nice to this thing?' "'Agatha,' the Madison says, its voice becoming higher-pitched. "'Be civilized.' We don't need a house spot, the Agatha says. It's so embarrassing. It turns away from the rest of the herd and walks into another part of the dwelling. I'll go talk to her, the Frederick says, and walks away. Her. The Agatha is female, then. The Madison turns toward me, its skin coloring a dark pink tone. I make a note to check its temperature later. It would not do for a member of my herd to become ill. I'm sorry about Agatha, it says. She's thirteen. You know how teenagers are. I do not know what it is I am expected to know about teenagers, but I do know that the correct response to the sounds, I'm sorry, is, don't worry, it's okay. So that is what I say. I notice the Madison's color return to normal, and hear a strange noise begin to emanate from a small bundle in its arms. "'Of course, this is the last person you need to meet,' the tailor says, peering into the pile of blankets. "'This is our little surprise. Chester. Say hi to Rosie, Chester.' The bundle moves slightly, and the noise level increases. "'Chester has a good voice.' the Madison says over the noise from the blankets. The other kids were such quiet babies in comparison. You just don't remember it, Maddie, the tailor says, his eyebrows almost meeting between his eyes. This is what babies are like. You just choose to forget about this part of it. It's not like I was trying to get pregnant, Taylor. Don't blame this on me. Pregnant. The Madison is female, then. Do we have to start this again? Then you change his diaper, the Madison says, handing the bundle to the tailor. His diaper, a male. This is a neonate human, I ask. I am capable of caring for humans as new as three megaseconds. Is, I replay the sound of the infant's designation internally, and then repeat it externally. Is Chester in need of nourishment? The tailor looks at the Madison and says, Thanks anyway, Rosie. I think we'll take care of Chester ourselves. You can go get familiar with the kitchen and maybe make us all some chicken stew for dinner. How does that sound? It sounds like everything else that the tailor had said, between 62 and 68 decibels. He does not wait for a response, though, and takes the Chester into another room. The Madison bears her teeth at me again and says, 
Everything is going to work out great. We sure are happy to have the help, let me tell you. And Aggie will come around as soon as she sees how much better everything is going to be with you here, I'm sure of it. She pats my number two manipulator, then follows the tailor into the other room. Section 7, Physical Space and the Herd Mentality, states that humans require private spaces, so I do not follow them. What a lovely herd they are. They make an awful lot of noise, though. It has been 600 kiloseconds since I joined the herd, and they seem to be accepting me well into the group. I find interactions with the Agatha the most simple. She is quiet and well-behaved. She requires very little from me, and I rarely need to interact with her. Sometimes tens of thousands of seconds pass before I see her. I would prefer that the others were as easy to care for as she is. But if humans were all simple creatures, they would not need caretakers, and then where would I be? The Frederick has become a challenge. It does not seem to like to be very far from me. Consulting Section 5, Human Bonding Patterns, and You, I learn that humans feel strong attachments to their parents, which usually reduces at puberty. However, the manual states that most humans do not truly outgrow this requirement for attention and merely transfer it to another individual, usually a mate. I suspect that the Frederick may be transferring its need for a caregiver to me, and may seek to attempt to mate with me. The manual warns that this may occur in Section 17, Discouraging Inappropriate Behavior. This morning, for instance, while I was making omelettes for the herd and cleaning their discarded outer skins, the Frederick could not stop asking me questions. What kind of power cells do you require? Do you ever break down? What is this button for? Does your software patch automatically, or do you need to ask for a programming upgrade? I answered the questions while trying to keep it out of my way while I worked. Meanwhile, the Madison and the tailor were making loud noises at one another, passing the Chester back and forth. I believed that they were vocally instructing the child on some aspect of human life. I left them alone with their important task. While I was answering the Frederick's questions, I heard the Madison say, "'God damn it, Taylor! I have an important meeting this morning. I can't afford to have baby puke on my suit. Just give Chester a bottle, for Christ's sake. Have Rosie heat one for you.' I heard the sound of my designator, but when I listened for instructions, none seemed forthcoming. Instead, the Taylor responded to the Madison, "'He's your child, too, Maddie. You can't expect me to shoulder all the responsibility.' "'Jesus Christ, Taylor,' the Madison said. "'I suffered through ten hours of labor, "'not to mention nine months of looking like an elephant. "'All you did was feed me two bottles of Chardonnay "'and spent three minutes grunting like a pig. "'The least you could do is give the kid a fucking bottle. "'It's not rocket science.' "'She rose from the table and left for her day's activities. "'The tailor held the Chester close to him, "'while the Chester made his loud vocalizations. "'Perhaps the child was imitating the parents.' A successful instruction, then. The Frederick stopped asking me questions and said to the tailor, I can give him a bottle. It's okay. No, Freddy, the tailor answered, his voice sounding constrained, perhaps an after-effect of the vocal instruction. I'll do it, Rosie, he said, and I turned to face him, awaiting instructions. Can you heat up a bottle for Chester? Yes, I can, I answered. Would you like me to do this? 
In Section 8, Understanding Human Communication Patterns, the manual states that when humans ask if I am able to perform a task, they often mean for me to do so immediately. However, I have learned that this is not always the case. Four days earlier, the Madison was entertaining some humans whose dwellings are located nearby, when the Frederick asked if I could remove my faceplate. I did so, which caused the Madison to become quite upset. I was cleaning up broken glass and crockery for several hours afterwards. Since then, I always determine if the question is actually a request for action or not. Yes, the tailor answered. Please. There should be a few full bottles in the fridge. I turned to acquire a unit of nourishment from the cooling unit, and the Frederick left the room, maybe to provide the younger sibling and parents some privacy. I had noticed that the tailor's eyes were leaking, and quickly consulted Section 12, Troubleshooting Human Physical Manifestations. Eye leakage is common among humans and can have many causes. In the absence of some kind of injury, most are not indicative of any serious medical condition. Given the situational context, I inferred that the tailor's ocular leakage was resulting from the pleasure of a successful instruction session with his offspring. Indeed, everything seems to be going very well with the herd. I am cleaning the floors of the dwelling, content that the herd is functioning well. None of the herd is present except for the Chester, who is unconscious in his sleeping compartment. I have set a remote monitoring device so that I would be certain that the child was still breathing and I could become aware if he woke and required cleaning or nourishment. This is a new task for me. Over the last three diurnal cycles, the Madison and the tailor had several sessions of what I have determined is some sort of ritual chanting. I suspect that the purpose of the practice was to prepare the Chester for accepting me as a caregiver. The tailor supplied me with a long series of instructions for care of the Chester, but Section 9, Care and Training of Juveniles, explained all the duties clearly. Indeed, after less than ten megaseconds of careful study, I was easily able to distinguish the various noises the Chester makes to indicate his different needs. I find he is much easier to understand than the adult humans in the herd. I provided a nourishment unit and waited until the Chester made the noise associated with losing consciousness, then began to collect the debris that manages to accumulate with a houseful of humans. Not merely there are many layers of outer-patterned skins, which they shed at least once a diurnal cycle, sometimes, it seems, several times in a kilosecond. There are also the particles that adhere to them from the outdoors, the fragments of tissue from their inner skins, their lost fur and other items I have chosen not to identify. A herd of humans are a joy to care for, but they are awfully messy. I am busy suctioning the corners of the hallway when I hear an unfamiliar but unmistakably human sound. It is not originating from the location of the Chester, so I am unsure as to its possible origin. I cease suctioning and follow the sound to the door of the Agatha's sleeping compartment. I understood that the Agatha would be attending instructional sessions at this time. However, I am sure that the sound is her voice. However, it is a sound in fact, a set of sounds, that I have not heard before. Section 4, Friends and Family, Human Socialization, 
explains that humans require privacy and that opening the entrance to one of their compartments without an invitation or, at a minimum, some kind of warning, is improper. However, Section 10, Protecting Humans from Harm, makes it quite explicit that in the case of an emergency such strictures are nullified. At first I am unsure what this situation calls for. Then I hear Agatha make a loud, high-pitched noise. I open the door and am unsure of what I am seeing at first. I can see the Agatha lying under what appears to be the Frederick, both of them with their outer skins removed. The human on top is grunting rhythmically, and the Agatha is making the terrifyingly loud noise, so I take my number three manipulator and pull the two apart. Then I see that it is not the Frederick, but some other human, some human who was not a member of the herd. What the fuck? the Agatha says loudly at me. Get the hell out of my room! She climbs out from under the other human, who is looking at me with its mouth gaping open. I notice that without their outer skins on, it is quite obvious that the two humans are of different sexes. I make a note to try to confirm the sexes of my other humans, but then the Agatha pushes me to the door, and I allow her to shove me into the main living space. You had better not tell Taylor and Madison, she says, her eyes getting small. Are you having difficulties with your vision, I inquire, as Section 11, Common Human Ailments, Indications and Remedies, indicates that squinting is a sign of myopia. What? the Agatha asks, her eyebrows meeting briefly, then shaking her head from side to side, baring her teeth slightly. Just don't say anything about this, okay? Very well, I answer. Were you being injured by that human, I ask? Do I need to remove it? him, from the premises. Agatha makes a noise in her throat and fully bares her teeth at me. <laughs> no, she says, the noise continuing. You, you really don't know what we're doing, do you? I respond that I do not, and she makes the noise again. Um, let me get you a video file, she says, and walks back into her compartment. She returns with a small data disk. I guess they didn't teach you everything you need to know about us after all. She bares her teeth again, then walks back to her compartment and shuts the entry. After reviewing the information on the Agatha's disc, I understand. What a wonderful day this is for the herd. The Agatha has found a mate. Section 16, Mammalian Reproduction and Pair Bonding, explains that after puberty, humans are capable of reproducing but the manual is not specific as to how this is accomplished. The data on Agatha's disc visually explains the details, although I cannot imagine how some of the activities depicted lead to the union of ova and spermatozoa. Humans are strange creatures in so many ways. I do not know why the Agatha would wish to keep such good news from the rest of the herd, but reproduction is very important to humans, and I trust her to know what is best. I will keep her secret. The Chester begins to make the noise indicating that he has eliminated the waste products from his nourishment, so I leave the Agatha with her mate, and I go to the Chester's compartment to continue with my tasks. I have now become completely integrated with the herd. The dwelling is clean, the herd well-fed and functional. It is exactly what I had envisioned my existence would be like. The Madison returns to the dwelling in the evening, after I have finished feeding the rest of the herd. 
I have kept a unit of nourishment warm for her, and I set it on the table in the eating area as she changes her outer coverings. The Agatha has left the dwelling for the evening, I suspect to meet with her mate, though as she requested I have not shared my assumption with the other members of the herd. Humans can be mysterious at times. As I am washing the food preparation area, I can hear the Madison and the Taylor communicating in their sleeping chamber. "'God damn it, Taylor!' the Madison says. "'I just got in from a hellish day. Can't you do anything on your own? Do I really have to work all day and then go and get the groceries, too? I mean, it's not like you've been working your ass off all day at your pathetic excuse for a job.' "'I do a lot more than you imagine, Maddie.' Oh, please, with Rosie doing all the work around here, I can't fathom why you're complaining. Just go and do the shopping already. The Madison returns to the eating area and sits at the table. She picks up her tablet and stares at it as she eats. It's okay, Dad, the Frederick says from the other room. I'll come with you. It's no big deal. Fine, the tailor says, and walks with his offspring to the door of the dwelling. We'll be back in about an hour, Rosie he says to me, and I make a sound indicating that I understand. Make me a martini, the Madison says to me as the others leave. I'll be in this study. She stands from the table and walks out of the room. I take her food dishes to the washing unit and then collect the ingredients for her liquid nourishment. After carefully mixing the beverage, I enter the dwelling space the Madison has designated as the study the Madison is using the distance communicator device to talk to a human I do not recognize. I'm sorry, baby, the Madison says into the communicator. I just couldn't get away at lunch, but I'll find some way out of the house tomorrow night, I promise. Can't wait to see you again, the voice from the communicator says, and I see the Madison bare her teeth. I can't wait to see you either, she says. I walk up behind the Madison and place the drink container on the table there. Who's that? The voice from the communicator says. I thought you said you were alone. Oh, don't worry, the Madison says, a strange sound emanating from the back of her throat. <laughs> it's just Rosie, the domestic robot I told you about. She unfastens the upper section of her outer coverings. We're alone, and we've got at least half an hour. She turns to me as she removes her coverings and says, That will be all, Rosie. I leave the room. It is good to see the Madison spending some time in the dwelling. Because of her tasks, she is home with the herd so much less than the others, and I am pleased that she is here now. It is so gratifying to know that the herd is strong and unified, and that I am helping it stay that way. I am pleased to clean the nourishment containers while Madison nests in the study room. I am providing the Chester with nourishment, holding him carefully in my number one manipulator, while a tube I have integrated into my casing provides the warm liquid he requires. The rest of the herd are elsewhere. The Agatha is in her personal nest, talking on her communicator with her mate. The Frederick and the Taylor are in one of the communal spaces, looking at the entertainment unit. It is exactly as Section 19, Man and Machine, A Perfect Balance, suggests a herd should be. I have just set the Chester down in his sleeping compartment when the Madison comes into the dwelling. Her movements are jerky and erratic. Do you require assistance? I ask, and she puts out a hand toward me. 
She touches my front casing and pushes me somewhat forcefully. Fuck off, robot, she says, her voice sounding as if she has a mouthful of some mushy food substance. I'm fine. She walks past me and drops her outer covering on the floor. I pick it up and carefully hang it up. The Madison opens a cabinet door and prepares her evening beverage. She pours the viscous clear liquid into a large glass and adds two cubes of solid water. You have forgotten the vermouth, I say, lifting the bottle. Ha! the Madison says. The robot's becoming quite the bartender. She turns away without taking the bottle from me, so I stow it back in its compartment. You're drunk, the tailor says softly to the entertainment unit. So, the Madison says, it never bothers you when you want sex. For God's sake, the tailor says, turning to the Madison. What's wrong with you? The Frederick stands up from the seating unit and places itself in between the entertainment block and the other herd members. What's wrong with the pair of you? It says, its voice loud. Why are you putting us through all this? How stupid do you think we are? We all know you were getting a divorce when Chester came along. How did you ever think a baby would make things work between you? How stupid are you? Frederick, the tailor says loudly, and I believe that another chanting session is about to begin. However, the Madison's voice is much quieter than the chanting level when she says, Chester was a mistake. She finishes her drink and holds the glass out to me. Get me another, she says, and I take the glass to the liquid cabinet. It was all a mistake, the tailor says, but it's too late now. We have to try and make the best of it, that's all. But what do you think I've been trying to do, the Frederick says loudly. All you two do is fight. Aggie has practically moved in with her 19-year-old boyfriend, which you'd notice if you ever stopped yelling at each other for five seconds. I've been playing referee between you two so long, I don't even remember what my own life is supposed to be about. I ought to be going out, having fun, making my own stupid relationship decisions, and instead I'm hanging out around here trying to make sure you two don't kill each other. The Frederick looks at its parents, and I think that it is making an excellent showing at its first chanting session. But then he seems to be unable to maintain the required volume, as his voice drops down to a subnormal decibel level. For Christ's sakes, he says. Chester thinks Rosie is his mother. Did you actually think getting a robot would solve all your problems? He pauses and I notice his eyes leaking. An after-effect of the chanting, I have noticed it with the others. I've had it with you two, he says, and walks out of the room. I bring the Madison her beverage and place it on the table near her. The Madison and the tailor remain in the communal room, the sounds from the entertainment unit the only noise. I have to admit, the silence is quite pleasant after the Frederick's chanting session. Humans are naturally noisy creatures, though. Section 1, Human Nature, Loud, Confusing, and Messy, explains it. They cannot help being the way they are. It is time for me to go and determine if the Chester has any unmet requirements. Until the Agatha and her mate reproduce, he is the future of this herd. With a little help from me, I am certain that he will grow up to be as happy and healthy as the rest of them. And that was our story. 
I failed to mention that this was an Escape Pod original, which I'm very proud to have more of lately. And if you're an author and you have an original story, remember that we pay pro rates. So we would like to see your original story. This is it for me for a month. I'm sorry I wasn't here last week. I was in New Orleans and I'd purchased internet connectivity because I figured I'd be the business type person and uh, actually pay for it in the fancy hotel and uh, it failed to work. And so I was desperately emailing around to see who could fill in and thank you Al for doing so. Traveling while podcasting is hard. So since this is the last time we'll be speaking in November, I will say I hope you muddle through somehow the rest of the month. I hope you enjoy Norm's presentation for the last two stories of the month. If you're American, I hope you have a good Thanksgiving. And I hope you steer clear of any Black Friday fistfights. Those are nasty. So we'll go ahead and hear some feedback now. Greetings and salutations, Escape Pod fans. Assistant Editor Nathan here with the feedback for episode 365, The Garden of Earthly Delights by Jay Castleberg. This was the story of an oversexed alien diplomat who has a rock-bottom score on both gardeners in tur and intrapersonal intelligences. Reaction was meager and pretty mixed, honestly. Cutter McKay spoke for the dark side. The big problem I had with this story was that the alien was so thoroughly unalien. He wasn't an alien, he was a bitter human with a beak and long fingers who hated human society but loved sex. All of Bosch's thoughts, feelings, actions, etc. were based on human thoughts, feelings, actions, and so on. The alien thought just like a human would. There was nothing foreign in our society to him and nothing foreign about his thoughts or actions to us. Seriously, replace every instance of the word alien in the story with foreigner or name of country native and it would read exactly the same. Thunderscreech said, Oversexed? Sex is fun, and apparently effective against plotting alien invaders, too. Neat. I'd better get back to, uh, practicing my planetary defense skills. And lastly, Electric Paladin tumbled in to write, This one started off badly. I really hate the aliens or dicks trope. I think the capacity to understand other cultures and interest in doing so is an inherent quality of intelligence, modified by various incentives that may or may not be at play, When you want something from someone, you try to accommodate them. When someone wants something from you, you try to make them sweat. Proud people do the former less. Nice people do the latter less. And this applies no matter how unique or special your own culture is. Thus, I come to the conclusion that most aliens are dicks, and I have limited interest in characters who are dicks. Then this story pulled a twist on me. Bosch's attitude was superior and removed, but in reality he was just as venal and perverse as the humans that surrounded him, and in the end that was the point. I loved it. Regarding the whole oversexed thing, I firmly believe that humans will have sex with aliens. Look, it's how we're built. Your lizard brain asks three questions about everything you encounter. Can it eat me? Can I eat it? Can I bonk it? It's how life works. Life eats the things it can eat, avoids the things that can eat it, and bonks everything it might reasonably or unreasonably be expected to breed with. That doesn't mean it's all we are. It can't be if you let it, but that's your problem. And that's exactly the point of this story. Bosch has given in to his base primal urges, and he's allowed it to transform himself into something base, predatory, and dependent. How else can you explore those themes without writing a sexy story? Well, that's all we can handle this week. Join us next week when we attempt to indulge every appetite at once with the comments from episode 366, some of them closer. Thank you, Nathan. 
Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is brought to you by a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. You can share it, you can copy it, but you can't change it and you can't charge for it. All other rights reserved by our authors. Music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. Please remember that we are a paying market and we can't pay unless we have your support. Thank you to those who have supported us recently. You can donate at escapepod.org and you will support not only Escape Pod, but also our sister podcasts, podcastle.org and pseudopod.org. Today's quote is a Chinese proverb. A wise man adapts himself to circumstances as water shapes itself to the vessel that contains it. Thanks for listening. Have fun and be mighty. See you next week.